So we're talking about foundations still. We're in the concept of foundations. God's work and my work. God's work and my work. So before I jump in, I want you to think about why, with all the foundation concepts we've talked about, pastors talked, uh, had a couple of those, and um, I've had a couple of those as well, why would we have the, the phrase work or my work as a part of foundations? Because if there's work to be done, if there's a foundation to be changed, if there's a foundation to be dug, we need to figure out which part is God's and which part is ours. It can be very confusing. Sometimes Christianity lends itself to it all, everything belonging to God, and we're just hoping he does the right thing. Others take on a very worldly stance of, it depends upon me. I've got to do everything myself. What does the Bible say? That's the real question. So what's the work that God will not do? It's a tough question. What is the work God won't do? He can heal, deliver, protect, direct, recover, fight for, and bless. He can do all that in a hundred times. More words than I can think of. God is able. That's important. There are a lot of people that like to help, but they're not able to help, right? Makes a difference. God's able. He's also all-knowing. He's also compassionate. He's full of mercy, and he's willing The answer is that God will not do what he's asked you to do. God will not do what he's asked you to do. That doesn't mean he doesn't have the ability to do it. That doesn't mean he cannot do it, but he will not do what he's asked you to do. Every individual you in this building, every person from the farthest left, the farthest right, from back to front, and maybe those who are listening far away. God will not do what he's asked you to do. That's very important. It can be difficult at times to determine what's God's work and what's our work. We know that God never stops working. He was up last night while you were sleeping. Did you know that? He was working last night, sure enough. His love and mercy extends beyond human sense of normal. God is the one who starts the work in us. I love this picture. He keeps us going along the way and is waiting for us at the end of the race. That's amazing. It's not just that God is saying, run the race and I'll be there at the end. The word lets us know that God begins us, encourages us, and then is waiting for us at the end. It's almost like God's carrying almost all of this, except for our small little part. Philippians says, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. I'm thankful he's begun a good work in me. And he's going to help me. He's going to perform it till the day. But I have a role to play. It may be a small role. It may be just a little bit. But it matters. My part matters. There's a work God won't do. He will not do your work. Are yours or yours or yours. He won't do what he's asked you to do. Now, we can say, well, Lord, what, what, what do some people have to do or I have to do? Well, it all, it's all different. It's what you can do. He'll ask you that. Amen. There is something he requires of us. That work, those personalized directions. His call to you will never be accomplished if you refuse to do your part. His call to you will never be accomplished if you refuse to do your part. There are some prayers that will never be prayed if you don't pray them. There are some work in the Spirit will never be done if you don't do it. This is the incredible power of Christianity, is that it isn't in the hands of the few. The the trained, the seasoned, the top dogs, the people at the higher levels. It's in the hand of every person. It literally is a personal walk with Jesus Christ. It literally is a face-to-face, it's your turn to look the Lord in the eye on that day, and he said, so what have you done with what I gave you? It's not enough to say, Lord, I only had one talent, 
or two or whatever the reason is, or five, he's going to talk to you by yourself. Talk about an, a day of accounting. Talk about a day of face-to-face with the Lord. You've got, you've got to realize there are some things will never be done if you don't do them. We can talk about what kind of church we have and what kind of building it is and the pastor and what we believe, but in reality, the church is a summation of what the people do. Isn't that right? We are praying church if the people in the church pray. We're not if there's a couple of people that pray. We're a, we're a Bible-believing, reading the word church if the people do it. We're not really if there's four or five that read the Bible and none of the, no one else does. You see how that goes? It, and you make up the decision for you. Uh, these are things that cannot be really partial to other people. I know a pastor. I love him very much. He's gone on to be with the Lord now. He was so motivated by prayer, so encouraged, so believing that there needed to be prayer, that he contacted a man and um, had him move to the city. And for a while, at least, he paid him um, as a salary, part of the church. His job was to pray eight hours a day in the prayer room. And it's kind of a cool idea, but he said, I put everybody else on staff, I will put someone on prayer on staff. Well, that's wonderful, but no matter how much he prays, he can't pray my prayers. No one can pray for you. We could pray, run this, pray for pray and pray and pray for hours, but I can't pray your prayers. I can't, I can't stand in for you and pray for your prayers. You see what I'm saying? There are some things that God wants you to do that will not be done if you don't do them. That is a level of responsibility you've got to accept, got to realize. It doesn't matter if it's your turn to be up here in the, the pulpit next week or never. There's a work that God wants you to do. Literally everybody, no one in this building can take themselves out of that picture. All right. So here's the best example the Lord gave me of this whole picture. I love it. Gorgeous picture in Joshua 16, verses 1 and 4. And the lot of the children of Joseph fell from Jordan by Jericho unto the water of Jericho in the east, to the wilderness that goeth up from Jericho throughout Mount Bethel. It goes on a little more in verses 2 and 3. So the children of Joseph, and these are the two groups of the children of Joseph, Manasseh and Ephraim, took their inheritance. So here's the time when they've now gained possession of Canaan land, the land God promised to his people that are called out, and he's beginning to parcel out each, each territory for each group. And he gives clear directions along this valley, along this part of the water, over here by the mountains. And of course, to you and me, this is the part of the Bible that gets very difficult to read because it doesn't matter to us. But it mattered to them because it was their territory. And if today we were given the territory to you, you'd be very happy to find out where your boundary lines were at, what you owned. If today we're pulling a number out of a hat and say, okay, and here we go, you've got your place, this is your spot in Indiana. Yay, the Lord blessed me with a, with a couple of thousand acres. You'd want to find out where your acres went. So this is roughly 1400 B.C., uh, before we were all born, uh, when the sons of Joseph were given their parcels, our lot in land in the territory God promised them. It's a very large lot, about 16 miles by 12 miles, roughly. God gave promises regarding this location. First through Moses. For the Lord your God, Moses said, is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs, flowing forth in valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land where you'll eat food without scarcity, in which you will lack, won't lack anything, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. When you've eaten and are satisfied, you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he's given you. Beware you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his ordinances and his statutes, which I'm commanding you today. This is rehearsed in their mind. This is the, the remember. God's going to give you a great land. It's got everything in it. Listen to all the things. You won't have to even worry about them. Years later, Joshua says it like this. I've given you a land for which you did not labor. And cities, you didn't build them. You'll dwell in those. In other vineyards and olive yards which you, which you planted, not You'll eat of those. Now, therefore, 
Fear the Lord. Serve him in sincerity and in truth. Put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve you the Lord. These are promises. These are wonderful promises to, regarding them. And now they're experiencing it. This is the land. But here we come into a part of our world that we're familiar with. Tension and frustration. Anybody ever met tension and frustration? I have. How about this week someone's met tension and frustration? <laughs> Someone today, maybe. God provided a wonderful land for the people, but there was serious trouble, frustration, and discontent. They were frustrated. They were upset about their living conditions. Now, this is half the tribe of Manasseh, the one that was on the west side of Jordan River, and they wanted relief from close quarters. We're living too close together. Our land's too small. Here we are. We're on top of each other. This is, this is difficult. We're struggling to survive. This is not right. It's not fair. And we need help. And, they, and they're frustrated. They're angry. They told Joshua they didn't have enough room to live. It was a serious struggle for land, for crops, animals, and their large numbers. We're a very large tribe. The sons of Joseph spoke to Joshua, saying, Why have you given me only one lot and one portion for an inheritance? Joshua 17. Since I'm a numerous people, whom the Lord has thus far blessed. Joshua said to them, there's a little bit of um, sarcasm here, maybe eye-rolling at least. If you are a numerous people, uh uh-huh. Go up to the forest and clear a place for yourself. They're in the land of the Perizzites and the Rephraim. Since the hill country of Ephraim is too narrow for you. And the sons of Joseph said, The hill country is not enough for us, and all the Canaanites live in the valley land have chariots of iron. Both of those who were in Bethshean and his towns, and those who were in the valley of Jezreel. Joshua spoke to the house of Joseph, to Ephraim and Manasseh, saying, You're a numerous people. You have great power. You should not only have one lot only, but the hill country shall be yours. For though it's a forest, you shall clear it to its farthest borders. It shall be yours. You shall drive out the Canaanites, even though they have chariots of iron, and though they're strong. It's important to note, here's my little parenthetical phrase, not all discontent is bad. There is a holy discontent you can find in the lives of some of the Bible characters. If this content that you feel produces in you a drive for a righteous change, a hunger to obey the Lord, a passion for the things of God, then that's a beneficial discontent in your life. When you get to that point and you said, I am sick and tired of being sick and tired, I've heard that phrase from other things in life, when it comes to things of God, well, that, that's a holy discontent. That says, okay, I am done with this. Paul talked about a godly sorrow. Second Corinthians 7 said, see what this godly sorrow produced in you? Such earnestness. Such concern to clear yourself. That's because the man that was in their church that was sleeping with his stepmother. His, I'm sorry, his stepmother. And they were upset about it and they wanted to clear themselves and they didn't do right. And Paul chewed him out and he said, look how, look how this sorrow you have is now working. Such indignation, such alarm, such longing to see me, such zeal, such a readiness to punish wrong. You've showed you've done everything necessary to make things right. There's often a get up and fight moment that move people from being victims to experiencing God's victory throughout many Old Testament stories. It's okay to have a holy discontent. I've got to do this. I've got to hear from God. I've got to change this. This has to be different. That's okay. That's a spiritual desire. The Bible says the Holy Ghost in lusteth. It's a different kind of thing, not for the world, but for the things of God. It's a desire for God. Now, There's a wrong perspective bound up in all the complaints of these Josephites, the children of Manasseh particularly. Their complaints were not based on correct information. Isn't that how it usually goes? They got a great complaint. They're very frustrated. When you dig down to the root of it, it's not even based on the truth. First, they were not the largest tribe. First, they, they only had half the original number on this side of the river. And there were several other tribes larger in number. If you list them out by numbers, they're not the top. Secondly, they did not just have one lot. And Joshua pretty much said, you'll not only have one lot. 
It was a very large area. And it was all the territory that God decided they would ever need. That's very important. It was all that God decided you'll ever need. This lot assignment was not made by committee decision or something Joshua just picked out with a crudely drawn map. The God of all creation picked this territory for them and put in it everything they would ever need. You may want to underline that part. Everything. Everything they would ever need for their present times and future needs. Have you ever thought about it? All the things God puts in that are so deep and even at the moment seem uh, an irritation. I've read the stories. I've read stories of farmers who struggled with crops, especially in a certain part of their field. And forever couldn't do anything because of that disgusting, whatever that was, that was in that part of that land that made the crops not grow. It took many years and they realized, hey, that oil is actually something good. But for a while, it was an irritation. That oil was way below the surface for a long time. That was a provision before they ever knew they needed it. It was there, but they didn't know what it was about. I've read about the, the farmer in um, North Texas who struggled with his crops, and his wife actually said, we just thought he was a bad farmer all these years. We didn't know. <laughs> he thought so too. Everybody make jokes about it. His corn was all puny. Anything he tried, he, he tried different kind of crop that it grew maybe a third what it's supposed to grow in height. Uh, he tried beans. He tried. It just got so, um, it got so embarrassing and was worse than they were beginning to lose, um, lose monies every year. And it came to the point where he said, I think I'm going to have to just close this up. Let, let the, you know, bank and have it back and we'll walk off from this land. And someone had the idea, you should maybe test the land. There's this new thing they're doing at the college. It's not too far away. They'll come and they'll test the groundwater. Maybe they'll see if there's something you can do. And they tested it and they said, we don't know how this is happening because you are way far away from the Gulf of Mexico. You're the farthest you can be. And you, but you have a spring somehow of salt water beneath your land. And it's not your fault that you're a bad farmer. It's just that you're never going to grow crops here on the salt water that's, that's coming up through the crops. No wonder they're going to die. So he said, what are you now? And they said, I don't know. Nobody knew what to do. But they talked, they thought it through, and they said, well, you know, it takes a long time to get shrimp from the Gulf. Why don't we try it here? And as the story goes, over the years, they become the biggest shrimp um, place and producer in the entire area of North Texas. God put something way below <laughs> that they never thought they were going to need that was deep in the earth. The Bible says in that promises that in those rocks is copper. In those rocks is iron. In those rocks is God's provision for other things. Did you know that God provided Things you haven't even seen yet that you don't know that you need. God's put them in your territory. So that, that's good news. There's bad news over here too. God was the one that picked this. Now here's another insight that I found amazingly. Joshua was part of the tribes of Joseph. He was of the tribe of Ephraim. So this appeal might have been kind of a family thing. Maybe, you know, Joshua will give us a little bit extra because we're kind of in the same tribe. Maybe he would say, you know, all right, I'll, I'll give you some extra land. They had settled into the hill country. They felt the squeeze. They were in this tight area, living in a small spot. But Joshua didn't give them more land. He didn't give them relief or tell them he felt bad for the situation. He didn't. He gave them two instructions. Clear the land and fight the enemy. Wow. Joshua instead said, you only need to clear the woods. Bible archaeologists believe that these woods were probably vacant during that time period. Joshua put the complaint back on them. So if you have so many people, which they didn't have, which this was why I said that's probably sarcastic, then you have twice the hands to do the work. You have twice the hands. He directed them, go to the wood country, clear the land, make that area good ground for planting and 
build houses and all, all the territory you have. They didn't like that answer. Instead, they complained about the valley of the Canaanites who had iron chariots. Now, this was factual information. It's true. They had powerful weapons. For that time, they were advanced. Possibly had iron scythes that stuck out from their chariots. None of you ever seen pictures of those. That's a horrible thing. I can't imagine fighting that. A sharpened iron piece that comes out from the wheel or from the side. I wouldn't want to run up next to that. You wouldn't be running anymore, probably. That'd be the end of your running, end of your running days. That'd be, be over. So it is true. I, and I can imagine. Now you get, you got to get the picture because it's easy, easy for me, easy for you to skip over how difficult a decision it was for the Bible characters because we can see the end of it or we can see how God is for you. Why would you even worry? You've got to realize, get the picture really clear. They're in very cramped quarters. They've got a lot of people for a small spot. They're in hill country. They don't have a lot of room for their livestock or and, and everything's tough. They've got woods, gorgeous, big, beautiful woods that belongs to their territory, but it's going to take a lot of work. You and I, we, we're thankful for, you know, the early settlers, but I don't know any one of us who want to go out and chop down some logs and build a house of it, you know, tomorrow. I don't, even, I don't want to come help you. If you ask me, I don't even know what to do. I know you'd have to chop something and lay this over, and I don't know. Then I'm not done. That, that's a lot of hard work. I don't want to dig a well. I don't want to have to go and break ice. Out of, that's a hard, hard thing to do. It's very difficult, very painful. And that was what was waiting them on this side. For the other thing, it's easy for me to say, hey, God will be with you. That was some serious firepower. The Canaanites had iron chariots. That's quickness. That's, that's the, uh, the, the sharpness of the blades. That's the ability to defeat an enemy. That was a very, very scary situation for them. So we've got to understand, it was a powerful, both frustration and fear. So, but he says, if you have twice the hands, go do the work. You can twice be able to do the work for you. They didn't like that answer. He reminds them of God's power and says, never fear because God will help you drive out the enemy. If you really have that many people, you have twice them in to fight. Now, what happened? I'd love to tell you that they said, okay, Lord, we believe you. We're going to clear these woods and we're going to fight this enemy. But they did not clear the woods because it was too much work. Is that shocking? That's the truth. And they didn't drive out the enemy because it was very dangerous. They stayed in a smaller place than God wanted for them. And they made an uneasy alliance with the Canaanites. That's exactly what God warned them over and over and over again not to do. Do not connect with them. Do not make an alliance with them. You'll, you'll end up going back to their gods. Joshua 17 we read through that, mentions one of those Canaanite cities they should have conquered. Many years later, Beth Shean became the Philistine city where King Saul's body and the bodies of his sons were nailed to the outer wall. There is a present and a future cost to refusing to do things God's way. There's a cost now, and there's a cost way out there. It might be years, but there's a cost there too. Ooh. Their refusal to do work and fight the enemy may have produced a poverty that God never wanted for his people. Poverty can often, not always, but often be connected with idleness. That is the truth. Maybe maybe realize in your life or experience it. I know I have mine. Poverty can be connected with idleness. Or if some level or another, an old... Uh, writer said if they would dig, they would not need to beg. They refused to go because it was too hard. God gave them perfect land, all the room they'd ever need, natural elements and supplies and all those promises of houses, vineyards, olives, but they never experienced the full measure of what was legally theirs. It's important you get this backstory. This is so awesome. It's exciting. I'm seeing God's work and my work. I'm seeing God's part and their part. I see God saying, I've given you the land. 
here's the territory. There's that valley that comes around this river. Here's your spot. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to give it to you. And now they have a work to do. They have a job to do. Yet, they're not doing their job. They're hoping maybe, maybe, it'll, maybe Joshua will give them just some extra land. Maybe we'll get a favor. Maybe God will do something. God had a promise, and they're not experiencing it. You could say, I could imagine them in their tents right now. God promised us a land, didn't he? Wasn't this God's promise? Aren't we his chosen people? Aren't we the ones called out? Aren't we the ones that have gone through all that difficulty and trouble? We're the ones that honor the Sabbath. We're the ones that circumcise our, our boys. We're the ones that do everything God asks us. Here, we, Why are we having such a hard time? Why is this so difficult? And God said, I've given you the land. Here's your land. Clear the woods. Fight the enemy. Well, this is really getting me. I hope it's connecting with your brain. It is mine. Legally theirs. That's very important. Because legally doesn't mean literally. Legally is not the same as literally. Just because it's legally doesn't mean it's actually happening. Laziness and fear out of a fleshly response to the troubles they face caused this promise from God for those called out people to be lost. God knew what was best. Isn't that always true? God always knows what's best. Joshua gave simple and direct answers of what to do. They're really short. Clear the land. Fight the enemy. They're just, I, I could put them in six words. But neither God or Joshua were willing to do what God asked them to do. This is God's land, His people. Couldn't the Almighty just chase the enemy out of that territory? You know what the answer is? Of course He could. He has power. Yes, He can do anything. Who can stop the Lord? Couldn't God just clear the woods with a blast of His voice? He could have done it. God's work never stops, and yet He would not force them to, f- to fight. He would not make them clear the timber. Wow. Mm. Most of Christianity refuses to take bold action. We feel like our place is only to pray, surrender, ask the Lord for help, and wait for Him. And that's an important start. That's an important place. Yet it's not faith to continue to stay and pray when God tells you to move and trust. It's not faith to say, I'm just going to wait on God, and God says, I need you to do something. Maybe pray is what he wants you to do. Maybe walk is what he wants you to do. Maybe knock is what he wants you to do. Maybe speak. But it's our flesh to say, oh, God, I hope God does it. When God's saying, I hope you do it. There's a lot of hoping going on. Somebody's got to do something. What is the place where God's work and my work connect? True faith is believing and taking action. It's more than just a mental agreement. There's a need to put on the work boots of faith and obey the directions of the Lord. Oh, God, this is so easy preaching about and talking about people that 1,400 plus 2,000, let's see, 3,400 years ago. That's a long time ago. But it's a lot harder for the Lord for me to say, Lord, this is me. I've got to hear this message. There's a simple part we have to do, but I have to do that part. We're at home for Christmas. Mom says, Scott, would you run to Kroger and get some things for me? I want to make that wonderful, favorite lemon meringue pie you like to make. Oh, that's awesome, Mom. I'm so glad I love lemon meringue pie. It's going to taste great, and I won't let any Jeff or Dana have a piece of it. Yeah, I probably will. But anyway, I'm going to eat that lemon meringue pie. It's exciting. So all I need you to do is go and get this and this and this. And I'm there in Kroger, and I'm looking at the stuff thinking, this is stupid. This doesn't even make sense. Who in God's name needs evaporated milk? If it sloshes, it's not evaporated. I've never heard anyone say, the recipe was so good. Is that, oh, evaporated milk in there? No one's ever said that. Why is it, why, I know where the milk's at. Why would I get evaporated milk? And what if it's evaporated? Why is there still liquid in the can? Who, if I don't bring this part back, who cares? No no one will say, we've got the, this meringue, it's so good, everything's here together. 
it seems to be missing something. Oh, yes, the evaporated milk. No one knows. What? I, 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 don't, I don't know why. I don't care. It's stupid. Mill not. What is mill not? What is mill not? What does that even mean? Mill not, evaporated milk, all these different kinds of things. Why do I have to pick it out? Um, I'm arguing. I'm having this conversation. No one's around me. just me looking at evaporated milk. I'm talking to it. talking to me. I'm thinking, this is the stupidest thing. What in the world even is evaporated milk? And who wants it? But you know what I did? I thought, okay, well, here's my option. I can do my part. It's a little part. And buy the evaporated stupid milk. That's not milk. That's not evaporated. But it's something. (laughs) And bring that and whatever else home. And she will make this gorgeous thing. Or I can just be frustrated. I can also be right. I can also just say, doesn't matter. And not do any part. And guess what? I won't get my lemon ring. I know it's a funny story, but I feel the Holy Ghost really strongly right now. Because some of you in your life, you're saying, what does this part matter? What does that part matter? Why should I do this? What, what is it going to, if I pray right now while everybody else is praying, or if I don't pray, who will know the difference? Well, they're all praying up there on the platform, and everybody's down here, and I'm back in my pew. If I don't say any words, I just look serious. Will it make, make a difference or not? If they all, if I read my Bible when it's on the screen and never at home, will, will anybody know? Will it make a difference? Does all the things I do for walking for the Lord and this Christian walk and trying to stay away from the world, does it make a difference? I tell people that aren't doing it. I know people that don't use evaporated milk and make wonderful pies. But what's my... <laughs> what if, and I could say that to the evaporated milk and it won't say anything to me. So what is my option? What am I going to do? It's, I don't have any other mother. I've got that mother. And she likes evaporated milk. So what am I going to do about it? I'm either going to say... Yes, mom, or I'm going to say, no, I want it my way. How long will you fight what God's asking you to do? How long will, will I fight God saying, I've got a one little part for you to do. Here's your little part. Will you do it? Well, Lord, I, it's, that's a lot of work. And then the enemy, they're strong. And that's, I don't know, that, people could get hurt, you know. This, it could be injuries. This, not, we're not playing around here. Or, Lord, that's going to cost me. That's a difficult thing. God has a powerful direction for your life and for my life, and yet we argue with God like I argue with the the can of evaporated milk, and neither one of them make much sense because the can can't talk back to me, and God knows everything. He knows what you need and what I need to do. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost calling us. Hear the message from these people. There is a work that God can only do. And there's a little work he asks us to do that he will not do if we won't do. And yes, God can still have a church if we're not in it. And yes, God can still pour the Holy Ghost out and we can miss it. We can't stop God from doing the big thing. I can't stop it, but I can decide if I want to be in the upper room or not. I can't stop the rapture from happening, but I can be part of the church. I have an individual choice to make, and so do you. You've got a call from God. There are things God wants to do in your life and my life. He says it's a simple thing. Well, it's easy to say at least. Clear the land. Fight the enemy. I put my, when I come out of that prayer room, I grab that little hand sanitizer, put it on my hands, and I always look at that percentage, and I think, kills 99.9% of the germs. And I think, Man, what about that 0.1% of the germs? And then sometimes just to cover myself, I get a little more. Just a little bit. Think that way I'm covered. I covered that, that last little one hundredth or tenth of a percent, I guess it is. And I think, oh, Lord. It reminds me I'm in the prayer room because I remember that. I think, Lord, that's how it is. You're the 99.9 and I'm the 0.1. But my 0.1 matters. At least it matters in my life. And it matters in yours. Ooh, someone say amen. Hmm. So, there is a key understanding in this whole concept, and this is the key to knowing the work of prayer. Someone saying the work of prayer. Some, 
thank you for someone. How about all of us? Say the work of prayer. prayer. Wow, that's getting better. (laughs) What's funny about it is if I could ask that 14 times, and there'd be different percentages of people that would say it. Some wouldn't say it ever because they just don't do that kind of thing. And others wouldn't say it because they said it the first time and they're, they're already done. They put it in there first. It's wonderful. I love that. It's like having people raise their hands and at the end saying, and everyone that will not raise your hand, raise your hand. And that's funny because some folks will raise your hand, but others won't anyway. So it's just amazing. It's true that Jesus paid the price and defeated the devil. He has given us great and precious promises. Second Peter says, tells us those great and prom- precious promises that he's given to you and to me. It's completely accurate to say that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. John says, for this purpose, the Son of God was revealed, manifest, be shown openly. That's what that word means. That he might destroy the works of the devil. But I want to say, Lord, it seems like he's still working. Anybody ever thought about that? It seems like the devil's still working. How does that make sense? If, if you've come to destroy the works of the devil, Lord, I, I've been around Vigo County, and I've seen some places he's still working. I think he's still working in Clay County. I think he's down there in Sullivan. I know he's in Sullivan County. He's been working really bad down there. <laughs> he's working. I, I have seen the devil working. He's still working. How does that make sense? Jesus legally, remember that word? He legally defeated the devil. But we have to clear the land, and we have to fight the enemy. Those Canaanites were done. The Lord spoke out of his mouth. I will drive them out. I will deliver you out of their hand. I will be before you. It was already a done work. God said, this is finished. But they had to still go and take the steps the fearful steps, trusting God's steps, whatever steps they took. God will do the work, but he's, he said, I've, I've legally defeated them. But Lord, they're still there because you've got to get them out. They're squatters on the territory that God gave you and me. Ooh. They're spiritual enemy combatants who want to keep you from the promises in his word. This is the very key to the understanding of prayer. Yes, prayer is a relationship between you and God. It, it matters that we talk to God and listen to God. But there is a work of prayer that every one of you can do. Every one of, I need to do. If we don't do it, the enemy just stays on our promised land and just enjoys the peace and calm until we drive them off that land. How many of you have worked at least eight hours this week? How many of you worked at least 16 hours this week? Anybody worked at least 30 hours this week? Oh, Lord, help us. More than that? More than 30 hours this week? Oh, gosh. You're tired. The people that have worked a lot more than that aren't even here. They're just they're sleeping somewhere. How many of us have worked the work of prayer this week? Usually it's just, thank you, thank you. But usually... It's not much. It's just a little handfuls and a few minutes here and there. Do you realize there's a work of prayer for you to do and for me to do? And if I don't do it, God will not come and clear the land for me. He will not, he will not defeat the enemy for me. I, I, it makes me both excited and sad that realize of all the things that I'm waiting on God to do and that God's waiting on me to do. Oh, Lord Jesus. Many people get tripped up by the thought that if God wants something to happen, then he's just going to do it. They ask, why should I pray for something God already wants to do? You ever heard that before? That, that sort of makes sense. Let's find out what the Bible says. It's always the right place to go. Paul asks for prayer for his group and for the word of God. Finally, brethren, pray for us. Listen to this. Pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified, even as it is with you. What did Paul think about this need for the, for the importance of the work of prayer? Ye also helping together by prayer for us, to the Corinthians, to the Colossians, withal praying for us that God would open to us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds. In Thessalonians, brethren, pray for us. Doesn't God want Paul to be able to speak the right words? 
come on. Doesn't God want Paul to have an open door to talk to people of all people in the world? God, don't you want Paul to do this? Doesn't God want his own word to spread rapidly and to be glorified? So why would Paul make a special request that believers pray for him and pray for the word of God? Because there is a work that God will not do. There is a work that God will not do. Come on, somebody, hear me right now. There is a work that God will not do. Close your eyes right now. Put your pencil down just for a minute. Lord, there's a work that I've got to do. I've got to do. There's a work I've got to do. Press this into my mind. Let it have an indelible image on my spirit. Let it be, Lord, something in my thoughts I can't get away from. There's a work that you won't do, Lord. There's a work you won't do that you want me to do. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. How important did the prophet Samuel think this work of prayer was? He said, moreover, as for me, Samuel says, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. Let me run that by you again. Samuel says, moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. Ooh, doesn't God want people to be saved? Timothy, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God and our Savior, who will have all men, say all men, to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Don't you want that, God? He wants people to be free from prisons that keep them bound. And that was one of the first scriptures Jesus quoted about himself. God, however, will not do the work that he's asked us to do. Clear the land. It still comes back to me. Defeat the enemy. Clear the land. Defeat the enemy. That takes some hard work. That takes serious, faithful obedience to his promises and godly directions. Ooh, I don't know, Brother Scott, if I'm teaching or preaching. Or preaching. But whatever I'm doing, I'm happy about it because I feel like I'm doing the right thing. Maybe just preaching or Peaching. Peaching would be not, not too bad. That's a good thing. <laughs> the present discomfort. What was a discomfort at that moment became a compromise with the enemy. A compromise, just a little one, just a, you know what, it's hard. It's easier not to. The compromise became a stumbling block. That turned into an eventual defeat. The cost of doing what God wanted was hard work and fighting. The cost tomorrow was of their entire walk with God, and eventually the land that should have been theirs was lost. Gnosticism is a religion back in Paul's day he fought against. It was closely connected with Christianity. Gnosticism, from the, from the Greek word, it means secret knowledge. Secret knowledge. Had a couple strong concepts that both of them were against the things of God, but one of them was this. They claimed to have a higher knowledge, an elevated truth that few possessed. Gnosticism, secret knowledge. We've got it and you don't have it. And maybe you can join us, maybe you might get it. This religion is dead, but many people today, and some of you still in this building, believe that there's things you're missing. There's you're missing the secret formula, the secret ingredient. The path that will fix everything. It's easy. The world and our flesh loves to find out what is the thing, that thing. What is the thing that we need to do? Oh, to fix it all, to make it better. What is that complicated, difficult, hard to understand theme? Yet what Joshua gave wasn't difficult. His instructions weren't complicated. They weren't mysterious. They weren't super spiritual. They were work and fight, clear the land, defeat the enemy. God knows everything, and we don't have to know everything, or how it will work out, or what the secret sauce is. What if right now, today, you only did what you knew to do? What if you only did what you knew to do? You know, that's typically the problem in our lives. It's not the things that we don't know to do that's a problem. It's the things we do know to do that we're not doing. That's the problem, right? 
It's always the case. When it, you talk about whatever thing, with its weight loss or its uh, time management or its prayer or its time in the Word, it, it's not the things you don't know to do that it's struggling with. It's usually the things you know to do and we're not doing. That's the battleground for our hearts and minds. If you only did what you needed to do without regarding what you don't know to do or having questions or walking in a fog or having an unclear path or future, the people of the Bible did not benefit from knowing the end of their stories or having their questions answered or even knowing what God was doing. Even Paul said, we look through a glass darkly. So I, I'm posing this thought to you today. God has a gorgeous and wonderful territory for you. And you know what? Yours isn't like mine. And mine's not like yours. And we can get frustrated comparing who raised us and where we were raised and what bad decisions we made or good ones. Or we can, the Bible says comparing yourselves among yourselves, you're not wise. But God's given me a territory. God's given me a plot of land. And so have you. It's a beautiful plot of land. It might have a tree over there and a rock over here, but God's put gorgeous things below the surface we don't even see yet. My territory, I can, my territory is, is on my responsibility. I can come to this church for the rest of my life, and if I don't clear the land, it'll just be the woods over there that God gave me that I never experienced. If I don't fight the enemy, there'll just be a whole other section over there that God wants for me that I'll never experience. You see what I'm saying? I can forever be in tight quarters and frustrated and say, Lord, you know, this is not right. Why, why am I having such a difficult time? And God said, I've given you all this land. Look how beautiful. Look how far it goes. Yeah, Lord, but what about that? What about this? God said, I'm not going to do this for you. I've given it to you. You've got the land. You've got territory. You've got it, and I've got it. The Bible calls them great and precious promises. Those are the land you have. Those are the land I have. You haven't experienced the greatness of the Lord yet. No one in this room has experienced the power of the Holy Ghost in your life to the extent that he wants to do. Nobody has. Isn't that amazing? It's exciting to think about how powerful God is. The song we sang with the words up here described an incredibly powerful, awesome God who if he is on your side, you can be one to a billion. It doesn't make a difference. You've got the greater odds on your side. We have a mighty, awesome God. Yet, the Lord said, I have a work for you to do. I have a work for you to do. Every person in this building. So the question, I know you want the last blank, and look how I've left it the last word. Man, thank you, Lord, for helping me think of that. How can we get up and walk in obedience to the Lord today? That's the question. How can we get up and walk in obedience to the Lord today. And there's a time for praying. And there's a time to get up from prayer. Frederick Douglass said, I prayed for 20 years and saw no answer until I prayed with my legs. Praying with my legs. When I first read that, I thought, that's not very, that's not very godly. We should trust the Lord. I prayed for 20 years and I saw no answers. Until I prayed with my legs. Until I prayed with my legs. That means putting legs on my prayer. See, the Bible says that the demons believe and tremble, right? They believe and tremble. They believe there's one God. That doesn't mean they take steps of faith on their belief, right? That's a whole, it's one thing to say I believe. It's another thing to take faithful action. That means I'm going to put action. Paul said, show, show me your faith by, without your works. I'll show you my faith by my works. You can tell I have faith because of my works. There is a time for us to say, Lord, I am going to take a step. It might not be right, but at least I'm going to be taking a step. I'm going to trust you and do something with this. And not just say, boy, I hope God fix, figures this out. Hope God sends someone to pray. Hope the church prays. Hope you guys pray. I have a need. I hope that someone prays about it. Hope someone will reach out and get a hold of God about it. Imagine if you are the one, and you are the one, tonight that the Lord's saying, I need you to pray about it. I need you to get up and walk toward the victory. 
there, there, there's that moment when the realization's coming to the men outside of the city that have leprosy. They say there's death in the city. If we go in the city, it's under a siege against the enemy. We'll die there. If we stay here, there's no food. We'll die here. If we go to the enemy, well, we could die. We probably will die. But probably is not so bad as we will die. Let's at least get up and walk to the enemy. If they kill us, okay, we we're already going to die. That was pretty much going to happen. We'd just probably be faster. And if they don't kill us, maybe something will work out. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll be able to live. And God worked through little actions and caused them to hear a powerful army. And those men fled. And when the lepers walked up, there were tents and food and gold and silver and nice clothes and no people. And started eating like um, teenagers when mom brings home the groceries, just like crazy. I've seen this happen in my house. And my mother has told me that too. She said, you boys, stop eating all the groceries. But mom, we're hungry. I didn't buy all these groceries. Free to eat them right now. I never understood why she would say that. I thought, mom, we're hungry. You brought home food. We're eating it. No, you can't eat it all right now. She wanted to have the rationess for the whole week. You have to wait and eat a little bit later. They're eating like crazy. They're going, they're grabbing gold and silver and clothes. They're digging holes and putting stuff in it to hide it for later. I, that's really cool. I think that I can imagine them doing it. Till finally, at some point, maybe the food hits the belly. I'm not sure when. They say, we do not well here. This is not good. We're not doing good here. There's a whole city full of hungry people. We should go back and tell them. And so they do. And at first they didn't believe him. Of course they thought that was a, it was a plan to get them out of the city. And they said, well, let's send a few people out. Let's check it out. God has a plan for you, for me. God wants to do a work in my life and your life. God is not limited except he will not do the work he's asked you to do. Mm. Stanthy, would you right now? Someone just take a moment. Let's talk to the Lord. Lord Jesus, I feel your spirit. I know you're in this place. I know you're a great God. I know you love us so much. Yes, Lord, help me today to hear the message. Let it get into my life. Let this not be one of those things I tell and forget about, Lord, or talk about, pray about, write down, and then go on with my life as though it never happened. Let your word have its lasting impact in my life. Leave a mark, Lord, on my spirit with this word, I pray. Do something in me, Lord Jesus. Let the work of prayer happen in this church. Let this church become known more than anything else for its prayer. Let this church become known for its powerful walk. Not just talk, but powerful walk. Let there be a walk of the Holy Ghost. A walk of living for God every day. Let there be a Monday and Tuesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday church that lives in this community. Oh God, not just in this building. Let the Holy Ghost do a work in us to get us outside the confines of our normal and what we're comfortable in. I pray in Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Someone said in Jesus' name. God bless you all. Be careful. It's getting a little icy in some places out there. Be, be safe and we'll see you this weekend.